die! Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the Ball and Mitt Podcast, a willy-nilly talk show about baseball life and the occasional knee slapper. So grab your Cracker Jacks, sit back, and relax. It's gonna be a doozy. Here's your host, the Baseball fans, what is going on? Welcome to the Ball Mitt Podcast. I am your host, Brian Brammer, and this is episode 18. We are trekking right along. We are moving all the way up to 20. Uh, maybe get there, I think get there by the, by the end of the year, which is a positive thing. Take a little break for Christmas. Uh, it's my favorite time of the year. I've already shared that with you. Uh, we've got a packed show today. A lot of uh, news that's happened just even yesterday or today. I had a hard time uh, trying to pick what I want to talk about. It's very difficult because you know during these trade times, there's a lot of speculation. A lot of things that one day it's this, the next day it's that. And I want to bog us down with those types of things that we could just easily read. I, I'm not the best at predicting where I think certain players will go or should go. I'm I'm not in management. I'm not going to bore you with with my speculation. I, I think that's more enjoyable enjoyable when you have two or three people for different perspectives. Uh, but I want to kind of talk about just some other important things. Obviously, we're gonna we're gonna tackle our headlines, but then there's a couple of of ideas that I think are important for us to understand and think through logically, uh, not just about baseball, but you know, life in general. That's what this show is. It's baseball life with a touch of humor, and depends on what kind of humor you like is indicative of if you think it's funny. So we've got a lot to talk about. I try to be selective in what I when I discussed, obviously, through Twitter, all my channel, at Ball and Mitt, we can talk about these certain things. I give my opinion. But I want to make sure that a uh, show that we do, uh, I've, I've tried to shoot for 25, 30 minutes, and recently it's gone over because we've had guests, and that's fine, a different perspective. But I want to try to keep it more concise and give you guys uh, just a very compact idea of baseball and the culture, the environment, what it is, what it has been, what it's going to be, and give you my opinion. And and my opinion could eventually end up being wrong, and I'm okay with that. I think that's cool. I think that's fine. My opinion can be changed, uh, not for the sake of me being a pushover, but for the sake of me you know, practicing logic and understanding that when you track a certain view backwards— I believe that's called a deduction when you start with the conclusion or the whole and you reason down to the particulars that a lot of times you can be exposed and understand, okay, yeah, I get this. I I was a little off here and I'm completely okay with that. Uh, My approach is to be completely humble, uh, easier said than done. Uh, We as human beings are all prideful. Uh, We have, uh, that's innate, I think, in our hearts, in our lives that we all want to be right. And and I, I get it. And that's, that's fine, but let's not die on that. Uh, we exist on this earth to learn from each other, uh, to love each other, to not be super critical, which I'll admit sometimes I am. I've, I grew up in a home uh, which I was, I was homeschooled, shocker, and my mom taught me to, to use discernment. And the problem with that, the weakness with discernment is sometimes, uh, because I also went to grad school, uh, sometimes that discernment turns into being a little too critical, a little too analytical, and you come across being very obnoxious. And I know I can be obnoxious to my friends. Uh, I kind of get 
caught up in semantics, splitting hairs. I, I don't like doing that, but it's just kind of my brain works. And so I have a lot of people in my life that kind of bring me down to earth and say, hey, this is fine, but let's be a little more practical. So sometimes I need the input of other people to just kind of write the ship and help me think about things uh, more on a, a practical level and not this idealistic world because that the ideal does not exist. Uh, it will one day, but it is not right now. So I, I think I think it's good uh, for you guys to interact with me. I want you to. Uh, we, we're going to grow each other. Uh, we may not always agree, but that's cool. And that's what I, I like about uh, these types of discussion. Okay, that was um, that was a lot longer than I anticipated in an introduction. Uh, but what we're going to do today is we're going to hit some headlines. Going to talk about a couple of things that I think uh, we could be talk. You know, I think it's important to talk about them. Uh, it's causing a lot of uh, divi- uh, uh, division. It's very div- uh, divisive. I think is is the appropriate word, uh, way to say that uh, on Twitter. And I kind of want us to kind of chill out a little bit. So let's go. I want to lead off these hardball headlines with honoring our 41st president, George W. Bush, who passed away at the age of 94 this past Friday. Now, not only do I want to talk about that because he's our nation's leader or was in the past, and we still refer to him as president, he was also a huge baseball fan. Uh, He played at Yale. He was a first baseman, uh, was seen as a, a very good defensive player, an average hitter, and he led Yale to... Uh, two championship games, they, they lost them. I think it was 47 and 48, so he led them uh, there. And it was even scouted by the professional um, baseball players and scouts, MLB. But he decided to go his way in politics and influence in the world in a completely different way. And USA Today actually says that uh, Bush kept a prized possession in the Oval Office and his, the desk drawer there. And it was his first baseman's mitt that he wore um when he played at Yale about 40 years ago. So that was something that was really endearing to him uh, and something that he loved. And I just kind of wanted to bring that out because not only has he passed away and thoughts and prayers are out towards his family um, as well as those that knew him and were really close to him, but also just the link to baseball. This is a baseball podcast. So there's my connection. And so I just, I really enjoy when we, we understand and we see the more... I don't want to say human side, but the more down-to-earth side of some of our political leaders, some of our celebrities and athletes athletes understanding, hey, they're no different than us. Uh, They may be smarter in this one area. They may have these certain accolades and different rewards that we do not have. But at the very bottom, the very core, they are people just like us. And I think it's important for us to remember that, that they're going to make mistakes and I think really the only mistake you can make in life is is not having baseball be your favorite sport. But aside from that, I think it's just good for us to celebrate these types of things and celebrate the life that our presidents, whether you like them or not, whether you voted for them or not, they're serving our country. Again, whether it was good or bad, you you live in this country, you're a citizen of this country, so you respect the office. Maybe not the person, but you respect the office. And I think that's what I wanted to do at this moment. Uh, another thing that we learned uh, this week, I believe, oh wait, it was Tuesday, I think, uh, Kenley Jansen. So if you're not sure, he has been having some irregular heart murmurs or beats. And so he had surgery recently. And let me read you a simple little message that he uh, sent out there to Twitter. 
he put up the video on his Twitter account that says, thank you for good thoughts, kind messages, and prayers. So he went, he underwent this surgery. It was his second in six years. And then it went as expected. So everything is good. He should be ready for spring training and available for opening day. Um, prayers out to you, Kenley, and your recovery for your family as they're having to juggle a lot of different things. But but we're, we're grateful that you have come out on uh, the positive end of this. Uh, we appreciate uh, your, your candor and your love for the game and your skill. And so uh, come on back. We're looking forward to, to watching you play. We've had a, a bunch of signings or not signings. And I think one of the, we just had one recently yesterday or it was, yeah, it was confirmed yesterday where the Mariners sent Cano and Diaz to the Mets for a bunch of other players. Now, I don't know who made out better in that. I I definitely think it was probably the Mets, but it depends on whether you like Cano and you feel that he's going to produce with the money that, that they had to swallow in bringing him over. So I'm not, again, I don't, I don't know too much about assessing all this stuff. It's, it's weird. We can make predictions, but at the end of the day, we have to see if they show up. And a lot of times, a person's, a player's uh, past is not indicative of their future necessarily because it depends on what the culture was of that individual team. Do they even like being there? And, and, and you can say, hey, you're a professional. You need to stick it out regardless if you like your environment. Or in this case, a different team is pretty much your location or where you work, where you go to work every day. And I know some of you may enjoy what you do, but maybe not with the company that you do it for. So that could be an issue. And so when a player goes to a new team, it's a fresh start. So I think we need to look at it that way. If we're seeing this on paper, it looks good for the Mets, not so good for the Mariners. But honestly, who knows? And that's what's so awesome about baseball. Also, what I what I noted was the Braves picked up Donaldson. I think they paid a little too much for him for one year. But again, he could be one of those that can have an awesome year, just like no one predicted Nick Markakis to have such a great year, an all-star year, um, because he is is he's not really in his prime, but he's still playing really well. I don't think anybody anticipated that. And they also picked up and signed Brian McCann. Bringing him back to Atlanta, I think, is great. I think he's going to end his career there. And they're now looking at, the Braves are now looking at chasing Dallas Keuchel. I think the Toronto Blue Jays are as well, as, and then the Cincinnati Reds. So we'll see how that plant pans out. But if the Braves can get Keuchel, they're only strengthening their team. Uh, they won the division this past year. I, I think as of right now, they'll do it again. And I think those signings uh, are big. So awesome. I also found out that, okay, so there's going to be a London series uh, next year. And I follow a group on Twitter or a podcast group of people called Bat Flips and Nerds. And so it's a British take uh, on, on baseball, so British baseball. And I follow them, and they wrote this article about, you know, the ridiculous prices of tickets for the series on the 29th and the 30th of June in, in the next summer, 2019. And so they, it's, it's a cool article. I'd go and read it. They're pretty much saying the prices are ridiculous. So it's 120 pounds for probably the outfield bleachers, the cheapest seats, which I think, and someone please correct me, I might have looked this up wrong, but that's approximately 150 US dollars for lack of a better term, nosebleed tickets. Now, in this article, their biggest issue was if it is the British Council or or whoever's involved in making these decisions, I'm showing my ignorance, uh, but those leaders over there and Rob Manfred, if they're wanting to encourage baseball uh, and, and 
you know, in England, London, and, and wherever else it wants to spread. And if they want to encourage this to younger players, the younger generation, so as they get older, they don't abandon ship and just come to the States and play MLB. They they stay where they are, and we make this a, a global sport, which I think would be awesome. We're, we're kind of getting, we're, we're moving that direction, I think. I think it's a positive thing. But if they're wanting to appeal to a younger generation, how can they with these ticket prices? So the rest of the article just goes through, and it talks about everything involved in going to a game. You know, if you have to make a trip out to London, if you're living in a certain area that's nowhere close to it, you have travel expenses, you have food, uh, you're going to, you know, that's food on the way to the game. Then you're, of course, you're going to get food at the game. You might get yourself a souvenir. You might, um, there, there's so many different other things the, the father could get himself a beer and, and those alone are, are ridiculously expensive at the ballpark. So, and I think they admit this. But they say they're adding a lot of different things together to say an average, you know, trip to one of these two games next summer for a family of four is going to be close to 2,000 pounds, which would be over 2,000 US dollars. Now, I think some of the stuff they put in there, when you have to make sacrifices to go to a game, you're not going to get all these things. Like if you're buying yourself hot dogs and your dad gets some beer and your kids want nachos and uh, and you know, a souvenir and that type of thing, and you've got food, traveling, even if you go cheap, I think they mentioned just getting McDonald's to keep costs down. I think if you really want to do that, you're going to sacrifice some of those things. So I don't think it's going to be that expensive, but I think the point was this. If you want to make the current generation, the generation growing up, if you want to get them excited about baseball in Europe, this is not the way to go about doing it. It's, it's a matter of supply and demand. There's a lot of people who want to do this. So it's like, okay, we know people will pay these tickets prices and, you know, travel prices. And I, I can only imagine what the concessions are going to be. If people want to go, they're willing to pay it. So let's jack the prices up as high as we can without it influencing the bottom line, which is putting butts in the seats. So it's an interesting article. I, I don't know where I sit on this. Again, it's, it's, it's speculation. Uh, but they're doing some math. I thought it was very interesting, an interesting take. I appreciate you guys over at, uh, when I say bat flips and nerds, uh, <laughs> such a great name. I appreciate you guys writing this. Uh, I'm not completely on board with the full explanation, but I think that was just to prove like a hyperbole to say, hey, it's going to be expensive. This doesn't seem like it's going to encourage people to go to games and get into baseball in this part of the world. That I agree with. And I, and I think that was the point. You know how when you try to make a point, you use her, um, hyperboles, exaggerations, just to say, hey, I know all these details I gave you are I'm rounding up or I'm, I'm pretty much saying this is the worst case scenario or this is the most you could possibly spend. I mean, you could always spend more, but this would be within the realm of realistic spending if you had a little extra expendable income that this is a little ridiculous. It's more of why is MLB doing this in this fashion? That I can get on board with. Check out the article. That's at batflipsandnerds.com. It's written by Thomas Pringle. Uh, I think it was written November 28th. So is that Thursday? Something like that. Wednesday or Thursday. So g- give that a read. One other thing I thought was really cool. So you guys know that I'm a huge Baltimore Orioles fan. I try not to talk about them too much because I, I don't want to be super biased and always bring them up. And I, and I do. And a lot of times it's because I'm, I'm poking fun of them. So there's that. But they ushered in, in my opinion, they ushered in this, well, how can I phrase this, this new style or, or architecture or pattern of Major League Baseball when they made Camden Yards. 
you know, with the brick and you've got the bullpen that's kind of like a, a double decker or like bunk beds, not so much spread across, but stacked on top of each other. If you look at some of the modern stadiums made in the past 10 to 15 years, there's a lot of similarities between that and Cannon Yards. Well, the A's have just, Oakland has just proposed this jewel box ballpark for waterfront Coliseum redevelopment. And so they're trying to, they're trying to create something that's bigger than baseball, this mega ballpark. And it's going to, jewel box is this. So there's going to be this waterfront stadium at Howard Terminal on the city's waterfront. And so what it is, is, is down, you know, not down, but right in the middle, like past uh, the pitcher into center field, over the center field wall. I was having a hard time thinking of how to phrase that. Over the center field wall, it's not, it's not closed. It's, it's wide open for you to see all the surrounding natural environment of the baseball stadium. So what it do is this plan would also, what it do, it, it would turn the current Oakland uh, County Coliseum into a tech and housing hub that would keep the Oracle Arena as it is while stripping the massive stadium there down to a low-rise sports park and amphitheater so it can it can house other other items. And this article I'm reading is from uh, the SF Chronicle, again, posted on, on Wednesday. And I should probably post this stuff somewhere so you guys can read them for yourself. I, I'm, I'm not very good with my show notes, but I'm trying to give credit where credit is due. I don't just know all these things when I wake up organically. And so the idea is it's, I think it looks awesome. If you take, it's kind of, I can't explain it. You're going to have to look at a picture and this whole jewel box atmosphere of trying to embrace the area, just like Cam and Yards kind of did. They, that warehouse that Ken Griffey Jr. hit during the home run derby there in Cam and Yards, they didn't easily could have taken that down, but they kept it up because it's part of the environment. Now we're in, we're in the inner city. So there's a lot of buildings, so the the view isn't as natural and beautiful. So this jewel box atmosphere is almost like playing outside and not really in a stadium, but yet it's still a stadium and has stadium seating. So it's all in the architecture. And so what a lot of people are saying is that this new idea from Oakland could usher in a new style, a new architecture for future ballparks, just like Camden Yards did, I believe, in 95 93, 95, I should have checked on that, but early 90s when they when they made that ballpark and then everybody else kind of designed that style after Camden Yards that they're thinking this jewel box approach by the Oakland A's associate, uh, organization is going to usher this in. And coupled with that is something else really neat. So uh, out in Portland, okay, there's not a, a, a team in Portland, but that is one site that I think, I think we narrowed it down to like six possible like realistic sites Portland, Vegas, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, I believe maybe up in Montreal or Vancouver, even talking about Mexico. Um, did I mention Charlotte? Well, I'm, I'm mentioned again, Charlotte was an area. And so these are some, some places where they can expand because I really think we're going to see an expansion, two more teams in about less than five years. And so then we would have to go to four, four team divisions in each league. I'm not even going to get into how we're going to do the playoffs with the wild card because they're not going to throw the wild card out. You know, we're already giving out participation trophies, so we can't take that away. Well, Portland has a has agreement in principle for a ballpark near the river downtown. And so, so there's a group called the Portland Diamond Project, and they announced that they have an agreement in principle with the Port of Portland 
for land north of downtown Portland that is suitable for a 32 to 34,000 seat MLB ballpark, um, as well as some um, ancillary development. So that, that seems like a very small ballpark. So I'm not sure about that. I don't know what the reason is behind that. But the location of the site sits on the Williamette River, would face toward Portland's Fremont Bridge, and would have a retractable roof. And again, the picture is is gorgeous. And again, it's, it's not just going to be a ballpark. It's going to serve as, as other things as well. But what they're wanting to do is, is there, I mean, this is a proof of concept. This is like, hey, we're serious about this. Like, we're ready and we're primed to bring a team to this area. This isn't something where you're going to decide and then we're going to have to have all these meetings. I mean, there's still going to be a lot of meetings. But all of this, you know, blueprinting and conceptualization, like, we're already doing that. We are convincing MLB to bring a team to this area. And of course, it's, you know, this location, it's not without challenges. And you can read more about this, uh, Forbes, Forbes.com wrote this, believe it or not, Forbes, right, about baseball. Forbes also reports on like video games and stuff, and it's terrible. So take this as a grain of salt, but but I've also read this other places. So it's not just like Forbes pulled this, you know, out of their, their rear end. So there's obviously challenges with this, but they're making this initiative. They're taking the first step and saying, please, we're ready. We're going to support this team. Uh, bring it to us. I think Portland or Vegas, it's going to be either or. I don't think it'll be both of those, but either or I think is a, a prime example. And then either Tennessee or uh, a team in another part of North America, whether it's Canada or Mexico. Uh, I think that's what we're going to see, but that is purely just my opinion based on what I think would be cool and, and, and no insider information because I don't have any inside information at all. And with that, let's get into some knuckleball trivia. All right, we haven't done this in a while because I've had guests and interviews. I do like this segment. Uh, So it's going to be short and to the point. And what I'm going to do instead of like revealing this, as you know, you're listening to this, hopefully, as soon as it launches, which is on a Monday. And I usually do it on a Friday. I had a friend visit in town, which is fine. Holidays are getting busy. So I was like, you know what? Let's let's try to do it on a Monday. There's a poll out there currently. I think it runs until Tuesday or Wednesday asking you guys what you think of should I air this on a Friday or should I air it? on a Monday. I don't get a lot of downloads on the weekend. And so if we start off on Monday, people are like, hey, we got ball in the middle Monday. Let's get excited about that. And then when I start my daily show, it's like, wow, you're going to get it every day, more like headlines. And then you still get an opinion piece on Monday. So we're going to we're gonna roll with that for maybe the end of the year. So maybe, you know, release episodes on Monday until 2019 to see how it's going, to see if maybe more people are, are listening to it because it doesn't get lost in the weekend. So just trying some strategy here. So what I'll do is, I think I'm going to reveal the answer at the end of the podcast. So maybe I'll move this section to the beginning so it gives you longer to think and do some research uh, if you're a cheater. So that's what we're going to do with this episode. We're going to give it a shot. So here we go. There are three rules, three policies, what might be a better way to say it, about a pitcher's baseball glove that has to be adhered to or punishment will ensue. What are those three rules? Okay. Uh, Two of them involve color and one of them involves not color. (laughs) That's the best way for me to phrase it without giving it away. And I have actually have one follower, uh, Jimmy Linetti, Uh, his Twitter handle is at DJ Glove Repair. And so he focuses on repairing these old gloves and mitts. It's a great site, a great service that he performs. Check him out. But he's probably the, one of the only ones I know that probably know the answer to this. 
Okay, so if not, maybe this is going to surprise him, and we're going to educate him. Uh, so hopefully, he. It's funny, and then I'll and then I'll um, ask the question again. It's funny as I was. If you've noticed, I've done a, a rebranding of my site with a new logo. Hope you guys like it. I actually I like it a lot better than the old one. But he would always tell me that there's a huge difference between a mitt and a glove. And I, I agree. A glove has fingers and is used by every position except for first base and catcher. And obviously, those are mitts because there's no fingers. There's kind of a thumb hole, but it's a mitt, just like what you would wear in the snow. You wear mittens, no fingers, gloves have fingers. And so I made sure that my new logo had a catcher's mitt and not a glove because I want to be accurate. The question again, what three rules... What three policies must the pitcher's glove adhere to? Two of them involve color, and one of them does not. So you probably have about 15 minutes or so to figure it out before I reveal it at the end of the show. Good luck. So I have three topics that I really want to talk about today. I'm going to try to give them all equal time, but we may not. It just depends on how everything goes. It depends on if something pops in my head. I'm like, yeah, go ahead, Brian, say that. Sound like a moron. Well, we'll see if I'm in that mood today. So anyway, the first one is Joe Buck has recently made some comments and it circled around pretty much this main summary. He does not think that the 2018 World Series was compelling. In a phone interview with WEEI.com, Joe Buck went into detail about why he thinks the ratings for the 2018 World Series were down. The ratings were the fourth lowest ever. I think I mentioned this a month ago with Preston, but they were the fourth lowest ever and were down 25% from last year's World Series between the Astros and the Dodgers. I think a lot of that is it was Astros instead of Boston. So it was Boston this year, so that was to expected. People are tired of these big market teams. I mean, Boston's not even a huge, huge market, but still... Uh, a typical normal team in the World Series. And so according to NBC Sports uh, Hardball Talk, this is what Buck had to say. Quote, the games were really not that compelling. Smoltz, he's talking about John Smoltz, has gone from the darling three years ago to he hates baseball. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's that he loves the game and he's not that removed from playing and he wants to see a certain approach that's starting to disappear in the game. I'm not sure analytics, launch angle, and all of that is producing better baseball. He has said one million times to me, because they're allowing the shift, sluggers say, if I hit the ball on the ground, I'm going to make an out, because everyone is on this side of the field. So I'm going to swing and try to launch the ball out of the ballpark, and we don't care about strikeouts. That might be fine in the regular season, Buck says, but the better at bats belong to the Red Sox, and to me, that's why they won. They fought to get on base, They went deep into at bats and they were able to put the bat on the ball and get runs. I think that's always going to be, that's always going to help a team win. It might not be the only way, but by my God, if putting the bat on the ball and creating action isn't better than swinging and missing, then I don't understand it either. And halfway through that quote, I was like, man, I'm starting to get kind of in my Jim Rome phase here. There's little choppy sentences in the arrogance. Uh, Anyway, uh, (laughs) a friend of mine told me I sound like Jim Rome when I first started, and I was like, I guess that's a compliment. Not a big fan of how he approaches sports, but I do think he's got a good voice and a good cadence for it. Either way, end of quote. That I might even take that out of the podcast. Whatever. So he also Buck also added, according to Hardball uh, Talk on NBC Sports, want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. Buck also said that he wants to see earlier start times. Now I I admit I do think the World Series was not that compelling. 
um, the playoffs were, I think, well, let me, let me correct, let me back up. The World Series was better than the playoffs as a whole. Only because you saw the dominance of a team. And I think that's why people didn't like it. Like, there was no, they, the Red Sox lost three games. One game in each series. That's, that's dominance. That is dominance. And so, Buck had mentioned John Smoltz. Now, I used to, I like John Smoltz. No, I think he's a he's a great baseball player, a great person. But I have an un, I think this is an unpopular opinion. Maybe we'll we'll, we'll find out here after this airs. <laughs> I am not a big fan of color commentators. I think Chris Collinsworth on Sunday Night Football. I can't stand him. I think uh, Jason Witten, uh, Booger McFarland. I just I do not care for the constant talking. It's almost like, please, just shut up and let me enjoy the game. Let the play-by-play call the game, and you just occasionally say something. If you're not even in the booth as a Colin commentator, I would not even miss you. Now, it has nothing to say about the individual person doing the color commentating. I just think it's, it's one of the... Obviously, you want to have a dynamic in the booth. I get it. But it's... It's too opinionated. Like, I want to listen to a podcast or a particular radio or TV show to get a certain perspective because I like their opinion and I want to see if mine aligns with it. And then there's other shows I listen to. It's like, well, I know I'm going to disagree with him, but let me see if maybe he can convince me or we can get into some good dialogue or it's going to help stretch me and sharpen my mind and how I think through sports and, and life in general. But with the color commentator, it's just... It comes across obnoxious. Like, I don't care. I do not care what you did, what you ran, when you played. I will read your biography on that. I will watch a documentary. But but when I'm watching a game, I do not care about that. I care about the game I'm watching. Not your experiences. Not what you think. And so, I think with John Smoltz, is he appeared, came across very... Very critical, because I don't think he likes the direction that the game is going. Now, when I honored Hawk Harrelson back, when I said I really, really like homers, you know, those those play-by-plays that are all about their home team, that's not the same thing that I'm talking about here. You know, when you listen to a homer, it's you listen to that regional channel's network, whether radio or TV, and they're rooting for their team, and so is everybody else watching that game that lives in that area. But this is a nationally broadcasted game. It's on national television, where a homer is usually not gonna not gonna come into play. You're not gonna get someone that's like that. But when, when I was listening to this game, even Joe Buck, it felt like the not only the the, the color commentator, but the play by play was almost like they didn't even want to be there watching the game. Like they would rather be doing anything else, and that's the problem, in my opinion. So Buck is saying it wasn't very compelling. And I'm saying as a fan, no dip. I know that. And you know how I know you didn't think it was compelling? Because you did not convince me to get excited for that World Series or the playoffs. If you don't care, I'm not saying be fake. But but run the play-by-play. Even if you're not enjoying it, it's your job. There's, there's things that we do in our everyday job that we do not like. We may like our job as a whole, but there are going to be certain parts that we don't like. Shut up and do your job. So I think Buck has himself to blame 
He might have not thought it was compelling, but he definitely didn't help me get over the fact that it wasn't compelling. If anything, he enabled me to complain about it more. And not just particularly John Smoltz, but just in general, I don't know. I don't remember where I read this, but I heard somewhere. So it's not my thought. It's somebody else's thought. I don't want to take credit for it. But basically they were saying this. In order for baseball to grow and to appeal to a not even a casual um, fan base, but to bring in other fans who normally wouldn't listen to baseball. In order to do that, if you need to get somebody excited for baseball, the people who are involved in the actual game have to be excited themselves. And so many commentators, and I will say, the not the play-by-play necessarily, other than the homers, but the color commentators are so negative. They're, they're, they spend so much time complaining that games are no longer the way they used to be. I'm a, I feel I'm a purist. I miss how the game used to be, but I understand the way it's going. And I'm still going to watch it because I love the sport. And, and we're going to, every five or 10 years, we're going to go through a different trend. Things are going to change. We're going to have this conversation again. Where it's just going to be this ebb and flow, this up and down, this roller coaster ride of what's the best way to approach and play the game and have it marketed. I don't care. I have my opinion, but at the end of the day, let's keep playing baseball. But if you want to make someone excited about the game, you have to have people involved in the game that are, are just as excited about it. And so, you know why maybe it wasn't compelling other than, you know, there was a lot of, you know, the changing of pitchers and trying to to use a lot of strategy. Like, I get it. That's part of what baseball is now. I can come to grips with it. I may not always like it, but I can come to grips with it. But if you want to make it exciting, if you don't, if you want me to find that it is a compelling sport to watch, you have to be compelling as well. And you don't just get to complain and, and throw it off on the game as, oh, this wasn't good. I'm like, well, um, now every time, Joe Buck, that you call a game, all I'm thinking about is, is this quote that you said. Like, you really don't want to be doing your job. Now, how is that going to anger? You don't need to convince me. I'm going to watch baseball regardless of, of who's calling the game. But I definitely don't have to like who's calling the game. But if you want to get a new user base in, you have to change your approach. You have to change your tune. If you don't like doing it, get out. Go back to calling football. Get out of the baseball booth. I don't care. We can move on without you. There's plenty of people that can replace you. May not be as, as, as good as your voice right away, but it'll be compelling. And they won't blame it on somebody else because it's not compelling when it was them all along. Now, that was one of those points that it was going to be shorter. And I kind of just went off. So it's, you know, Joe Buck, John Smoltz, I like him. But, but we have to understand, we're no longer playing the game. We're not. So, so what we say, when I say we, the commentators, because I, I have never played Major League Baseball, you got to be kidding me. You're, you're not playing any longer. So your involvement is now different. You have to embrace that involvement. And if you're going to be in the booth, get me excited for the game, even when it's not exciting. Make me excited. Okay. So that's kind of a, it didn't seem lighthearted, but that was kind of my, my lighthearted topic, uh, mainly because this is inconsequential. That doesn't involve other serious matters like the next two subjects. According to ESPN, the Cubs on Friday tendered a contract to suspended shortstop Addison Russell, who was eligible for arbitration. So Russell is actually going to miss the first month of the season after accepting a 40-game suspension late in the season after his ex-wife accused him of domestic abuse in a blog post. Now, from the start, the Cubs have said they want to see Russell get help while also being a positive force on the issue of domestic violence. That that was a full quote from ESPN uh, writer Jesse Rogers. 
Now, just because the Cubs have tendered his contract, meaning keeping him, doesn't mean that he will actually play once the suspension is over. It just means that Russell is their property to do as they as they please. Now, everybody has been going nuts over Twitter. And I know this is not the best way to gauge. Well, actually, you know what? I'll be honest. I think this is the best way to gauge what the public thinks of a certain issue. It's, I'm not saying it's accurate. I'm not saying it's correct. But Twitter has given, social media in general, has given people who normally would not have a voice, a voice, which is a positive thing. But the flip side of that is it's actually given a voice to people who should probably have no voice at all because their brains are malfunctioned. They don't understand logic or how to have civil discourse. So I'm not talking about those people, but there are a lot of disagreements over this whole issue that Theo Epstein, Theo Epstein, I'm sorry, kept Addison Russell on the team when recently we just found out that Kareem Hunt from Kansas City was let go because of his beating and kicking of a woman. Now, I'm not going to compare both of these situations because I don't know enough of them. I actually don't think anybody knows enough of these two. And some were saying, wow, the Chiefs do it right. Let's support that organization. But I believe there were some issues with Tyreek Hill much earlier in his career that was not overlooked but dealt with differently because of some domestic issues. So every single domestic issue is not the same. And every player's relationship with, or I'll, I'll phrase it this way, Every employee's relationship is different with their employer. We don't understand the inner workings. Now, I'm not defending any of this. All I'm saying is if I do not have the knowledge to make an accurate assessment, I'm not going to make any conclusion at all. I can give you my opinion on what I think, or if this is the case, I think X should happen, but I'm not going to act like I am a fly on the wall and know everything that's going on. Now, obviously, domestic abuse, wrong. Whether of your spouse, of your kids, it's just wrong. And I think those that defend it, I think by their reaction to domestic violence, if, okay, for example, if, if someone punches you in the face and your immediate reaction is to punch back or get offended or hurt, your action, your reaction, tells me a lot about what you thought of their action. Now, my philosophy of a lot of things, of life, of logic in general, is getting ready to come out right now. I do not believe that there is, my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. I do not believe that there is no such thing as absolutes. I don't. I think it's a silly notion. And for example, if I were to, like I said earlier, kick you or, or say something harmful or do something inappropriate or, or malicious towards you, your very reaction to my action shows me part of what your philosophy of right and wrong is. Why do we get upset when we hear about murder, when we hear about deception, when we hear about domestic violence or violence in general? Why do we get upset? Because innately we know it's wrong. Now, this is a little philosophical, but I think we need to go here because the, the third topic that we're talking about kind of involves the same thing. So I don't want to act like I know the situation. All I know is that it is up to a particular organization, a, a particular club, to make a decision on how to 
address this issue. For me to say definitively, the Cubs should let Addison Russell go and fire him because of something he did wrong. For me to say that, I can have that opinion and I can back that up. But if the Cubs do something that I disagree with, it doesn't mean that they are wrong. It just means I don't disagree, I don't agree with what they did. Now, if the reasons they give are, are silly or if they hide something or cover it up, then, then that's wrong. That's, that's unethical. And later on, we're going to, oh, well, I'm going to touch on that in a second. So just because you disagree with something or see something differently about matters that are not necessarily black and white, then I don't think we have the right to get upset with a decision we disagree with. And so what I'm talking about here is by all of our reactions, by Twitter's reaction in general, what he did to his ex-wife, and he's admitted it, what he's done to his ex-wife is wrong, period, in all cultures, everywhere in the world. It's wrong. And I think we see that. Now, what we disagree on is how a particular employer should handle that employee given something he did off the field, pretty much not in the office. And so it really comes down to, do you feel someone should be punished by their employer when they've done something that had nothing to do when they were on the clock? Now, it's not, I know, it's not that simple because with professional athletes, they're always in the public eye. You're kind of always on the clock. It's not just during practice or, or when games are being played. I know that looks different. So there's not a complete one-to-one correspondence, and I get that. So these comparisons and analogies, they always break down eventually. But the Cubs, well, you know what? Let me, let me read to you his, uh, Addison Russell's comment and then Theo's. Quote, since accepting my suspension, I've had time to reflect on my past behavior and think about the next steps I need to take to grow as a person. I am just in the early stages of this process. It is work that goes far beyond being a baseball player. It goes to my core values of being the best family man, partner, and teammate that I can be and giving back to the community and the less fortunate. While there is a lot of work ahead for me to learn or to earn back the trust of the Cubs fans, my teammates, and the entire organization, it's work that I am 110% committed to doing. Okay? I've got no reason not to believe Russell. Now, I know he originally denied it at first. Um, can we be honest? I'm not saying it's right or wrong, or I'm not saying it's correct, but wouldn't you? I, I, I actually hope I would not deny it, but, but come, let's be honest. If we were to deny it, but then come out and speak truthfully about it, understanding our, our fault in lying to begin with, I, I've done it. Maybe not to something to this degree, but I have told a lie to cover up and then realize, you know what? This is not a path I want to go down. I need to correct this. So I don't know if this is what Russell did. Again, I don't know. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to believe what he says and see if his actions back up his words and then make an assessment from there. Now, this is what Theo said. The behavior that led to Addison Russell's suspension under Major League Baseball's joint domestic violence policy happened on our watch. If we're willing to accept credit when a member of our organization succeeds on the field, what should we do if he engages in conduct off the field worthy of discipline from Major League Baseball? Again, it's, it's a rhetorical question, but he is sharing with you how he feels that in his position, how he should respond and treat this issue. He is saying that he owns responsibility to a certain degree with one of his players, one of his employees, 
conduct off the field. Now, there are some out there, maybe even including myself, I'm still not sure where I sit on this, that believe a player's conduct outside of the game, outside of the office, has no bearing on his actual job performance, where it shouldn't. And obviously, if it does, then he needs to be let go. But that your actions outside of work, off the field, uh, it, it, it's the organization needs to to stay away from. And that as long as they show up to work, as long as they are promoting a, a good brand for that particular team, then everything is okay. Now, obviously, what Russell uh, Addison Russell did brings terrible marketing. Well, let's just roll with it. It makes the league look bad, makes the team look bad, makes him look bad. And baseball is saying, we don't represent this type of behavior, so we're going to correct this. And this is completely within their right. And I feel like this is a responsible thing to do. But to just start saying, oh, he needs to be fired and let go because Kansas City did it or any other team did it, it's just not that simple. What do I think? Okay, what do I think? I feel that the Cubs are wanting to actually work with him on this. Now, if he wasn't Addison Russell, I think this whole entire thing is dealt with a lot differently. We're not talking about it because Russell's gone and there's no real issue other than, yeah, dude, don't don't hit your wife. Don't hit your ex-wife. Don't hit anybody, honestly. Unless you're on the field hitting them as far as, you know, tackling or hitting a baseball. Like, don't do that. That's silly. But if this is another player that's that's not as esteemed and, and not as talented as Addison Russell, this this conversation may not even be occurring. You're let you're let go, and that's the end of it. So I, I do think that's factoring in. I do think they're protecting an asset, their investment. As a business, I get it. And if that's the type of program club that Theo Epstein wants to run, that is completely up to him. You can disagree with it, but you can't say it's right or wrong. I don't think you can. You may have stacks of evidence that would convince other people to say, hey, what he's doing and the fact that he's giving him a second chance is wrong. You may have more evidence for that, but it still doesn't mean you're right and he's wrong. I say let him go. I say this is the best lesson you can teach someone not going through these different programs there are people who do nonprofit work and they've never abused anyone they're just doing nonprofit work because they believe in the cause you're doing it as let's say court mandated community service so it just it just doesn't carry the same weight in my opinion but if i'm the cubs owner you know if i'm, I'm if i'm his the baseball operations dude i'm saying hey man uh, best of luck to you. This stinks. I hope you get help. We'll we'll, we'll support you. We'll, we'll get you in the you know in contact with the right people. If you really believe this is something that you want to stop doing, or or you have regrets about, if you truly feel sorry about that, hey, we'll get you some support. But you you no longer have a place on this baseball team. We don't tolerate that. That's what I would do. But the fact that Theo has not done that, the Cubs organization has not done that, doesn't mean that what they did actually do is wrong. You just you can't make your views, no matter how strong you have them. Um, so such dogma you can't make them like this is the only choice and the louder i scream and the more your words i use and the more i insult you the more my point is being made that's silly you actually you actually belittle your point when you do that 
So, Addison Russell, get your help. You've been giving a second chance that I don't think at your level you deserve. I mean, everybody deserves grace. And as you know what? Honestly, no. No, I don't. I know I don't deserve it. I know I do things every day that are despicable. Thoughts I've had in my head are just ridiculous. And, and I'm forgiven of those. That is my philosophy. I hope you guys have picked up on the fact that I am a Christian. I put my faith in the Bible. And, and you can believe that whatever you want. That, that's fine. I can have conversations with you about philosophy, about life. And, and we can share a drink together and still disagree on things. But this is where it's coming from. I want you to understand that. So I believe that that we should be given second. It's, it's called forgiveness, but forgiveness does not mean that you are exempt from the consequences of your actions. Someone can forgive you without trusting you immediately. Those two do not go hand in hand. That that trust has to be earned back. So I think Russell has gotten a second chance already maybe even more grace than he deserves by the Cubs going to this amount of length to help him and still retain him on the team. So I hope he understands that and he takes advantage of it. And this never happens again. All right, and the last topic I wanted to talk about was this. MLB partners with MGM as first gaming partner. This again, according to David Purdom at ESPN.com. Major League Baseball became the latest U.S. sports league to partner with a gaming operator on to this past Tuesday with Commissioner Rob Manfred announcing a multi-year deal with MGM Resorts International. Manfred has this to say. We are pleased to partner with MGM Resorts International, a clear industry leader in the sports gaming era, to work together on bringing innovative experiences to baseball fans and MGM customers. Our partnership with MGM will help us navigate these uh, this involving space responsibly, and we look forward to the fan engagement opportunities ahead. So NBA and the NHL also partnered. So baseball is the, the third major U.S. professional sport. Immediately, I see comments on, this is hypocrisy. Pete Rose should now be allowed to be elected into the Hall of Fame. Negative, Ghost Rider. I do not... I don't understand that logic whatsoever. It's it's interesting. I was looking through what other people thought of this idea, this statement of if MLB is going to partner with betting, making money um, off of games, then that immediately expunges Pete Rose's record of him being ineligible for the Hall of Fame because of what he did with the Reds. And I found this article by Craig Calcaterra. Don't know who he is. Writes for uh, MLB.NBC Sports. And (laughs) this is an awesome quote. Okay, I'll just read it. He says, claiming there is some connection between these two things is dumb, people. Don't be dumb because being dumb is dumb. I loved it. I mean, it's straight to the point and repeats an important word. So I, I want you to, I've, I actually think I posted this on Twitter. And I wanted to give you guys my take. I, I believe in this comment. Just because MLB has legally 
legally partnered to bring an innovative experience for the fans, keyword fans, does not mean that Pete Rose, who willingly betted on games as a player, as a manager, he'd even say he bet on his own team to win, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That was against MLB rules. Does not mean at all that he should be allowed in the Hall of Fame. They are not connected. They have some of the same factors, but the scenario and the context is completely different. Now, I spoke about earlier how I wanted to talk about, you know, some differences in not philosophy, but just some some definitions. So what I want to do real quick is share with you the difference between moral and ethical. We use them interchangeably. They are not synonyms. They're related and often used interchangeably, but they are not synonyms. And so I went to dictionary.com. Sometimes, you know, I just reading this doesn't mean anything. I have to put it in context. So I want to do that. But here, here's the here's the difference. So moral refers mainly to guiding principles, and ethical refers to specific rules and actions. A moral precept is an idea or opinion that's driven by a desire to be good. An ethical code is a set of rules that defines allowable actions or correct behaviors. So here's here's a distinction. Here's an example that uh, the dictionary gives on, um, on their website. Here it is. It's important to know that what's ethical isn't always what's moral, and vice versa. Omerta, for example, is a code of silence that developed among members of the mafia. It was used to protect criminals from the police. This follows the rules of ethically correct behavior for the organization, but can also be viewed as wrong from a moral standpoint. Another example, a lawyer who tells the court that his client is guilty may be acting out of moral desire to see that justice is done. He's, he's representing someone that he knows is wrong. He's trying to get the criminal off the hook, but he knows that he did the crime. Okay, If he reveals that to the court so that he sees true justice being done, that is moral. But this is deeply unethical because it violates the attorney-client privilege. So ethics is a system or a code of conduct created to make sure that those involved have integrity, maybe not moral integrity, but integrity within that system and all of those who are participants of that system. And so what Pete Rose did was unethical. It was not immoral. I do not think betting on sports as a fan and a bystander and someone who is not involved in the possible outcomes of those bets. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As long as you do not let it control you, as long as you don't make it your idol or your God, you don't get obsessed with it, practice self-control as you should with every good, decent thing in life. Moderation, self-control, as long as you're not spending all this money gambling and your family is starving to death or they don't have a roof over their head, don't be irresponsible with gambling. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. 
I mean, let's say you're going to put down money for a game and, and the probability of you making uh, maybe 20% of your earnings, like on top of what you put in, you make 20%. That's honestly still maybe more of a uh, better investment than getting gas, going in and getting yourself a fudge round in a Coke. At least there's opportunity to make money back. All you're going to get with the fudge round and the Coke is, you know, a bigger spare tire. Where was I? Okay, yes, Pete Rose. So he didn't, do, betting is not immoral, but what he did was go against the rules of the MLB, betting in a certain particular way, not adhering to the code of ethics that a particular system that you play with your employer has set up for you to adhere to. I tell you what, if I lied to my my last boss, or if I did something that was, you know, I I I don't I don't think drinking, you know, is wrong. Don't get drunk. That's my personal beliefs on it. But if I show up to work tanked and I can't do my job, I deserve to get fired. I was doing something unethical. And it's the same thing Pete Rose did. You break the rules, you pay the consequences. It is a shame that Pete Rose cannot be inducted in the Hall of Fame. I believe among all players, he should get in. But there are consequences for the things that you do. There really are. And some of those consequences last forever. Now, it doesn't take away from the great player that he is. It doesn't take away from whatever you, whatever type of person you think he is. I don't know him personally, but it, but if you have a certain view of him, it doesn't mean that that view is skewed or wrong. It just means that he cannot be in the Hall of Fame, and it stinks because there your accomplishments are put on display and are recognized by some of the best players that have ever played the game, as well as fans and organizations. And, and you want to be able to celebrate your hard work. But you can't be you can't be stupid. There are so many. It just goes to prove that one silly, stupid decision can cause all of your accomplishments to crumble at your feet. And so there's lessons to be learned. And I know a lot of time has passed, but the MLB is not wrong for keeping him out of the Hall of Fame, no matter how much you or I think he should be in there. And, you know, there, there may be exceptions that MLB has made for certain players of similar situations, and, and that's where they could possibly be hypocritical. You know, not being consistent on handing out their punishment. But I don't think that's the case with Pete Rose and its seemingly connection, I'm doing air quotes, connection with the deal they made with MGM. I, I don't think there's a connection. I think that if you are, that's not a hill to die on. Okay, you're wrong if you think that this allows for Pete Rose to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't see the connection. I don't see the logic. But you also should just maybe just chill out a little bit if this is going to cause so much angst, uh, as I have seen on the Twitter front of people just going nuts. It's just not worth it. It doesn't influence your life at all, whether Pete Rose gets into the Hall of Fame or not. So have a civil discussion, chill out. And you know what? It's funny. As I shared with, um, I think, No Crying in Baseball podcast last week, and maybe even with, with Bridget and others, I, I, I mentioned it a lot. I grew up with a very bad temper. 
I understand what losing self-control does to people that you love. And you understand that if you act a certain way, people may always view you that way. And you have no one to blame but yourself. And in this case of Pete Rose, he has no one to blame but himself. And anything the MLB does involving gambling, as long as it is ethical and legal, has no bearing and no influence on whether Pete Rose should be in or not. Period. Here's the answer to the knuckleball trivia. What three rules or policy does MLB have in place regarding pitchers and their gloves? Two of them involve color. Here they are. One, the glove cannot be two-toned at all. It has to be a solid color. The second thing, also involving color, is the pitcher's glove can be any color except for white or gray. And the third rule or policy is this. You cannot have any foreign object on your glove. So I think that involves... Uh, a piece of tape that may have, I don't know, maybe you want to, you have a child, a daughter or son, you want to write their name on the glove. Like I think it would have to be stitched, but it can't be a foreign object, especially a foreign object of a particular white or gray color. Cannot have that bonus in college. Those schools that are enrolled in the NCAA, the pitchers can only wear or not wear, can only use a brown or black glove the more you know all right i appreciate your time this was some heavy stuff it actually ended up being longer than 30 minutes i might do some cutting out here there i thought it was all important i'm looking forward to you guys interacting with me because i know there's me some other that completely disagree with me and you know what i think that's awesome hopefully you can convince me to maybe be more logical as iron sharpens iron regardless of what you're talking about that's the kind of discussions I think we should be having. That's the kind of discussions I want to have on the Ball of Mitt, uh, Ball and Mitt, I can't even say my own podcast name right, Ball and Mitt Podcast. I think it's healthy. Keep me in check. I'll keep you in check. And let's enjoy talking about baseball because it is the greatest sport ever created by mankind. No three strikes this week. My apologies. See ya. Well, folks, that's a wrap. This has been a Ball and Mitt Podcast gather at our website and remember to follow us on twitter and subscribe to the show thank you for tuning in farewell baseball fans